best You can be the King Kong banging on your chest You can beat the world, you can beat the war You can talk to God, go banging on his door You can throw your hands up, you can beat the clock This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports One and two, Holiday at first Tar drives one high and deep right field Get up and get out Todd Hilton, of course, you heard the broadcast there. Drew Goodman, who will have an opportunity to join us tomorrow on that call with uh, George Frazier, of course. That was the home run we talked about yesterday that started Rocktober. It was the one. And now Todd Hilton, a Hall of Famer, along with Adrian Beltre and Joe Maurer, uh, joining us now to talk about it on many of those Rockies broadcasts you hear her voice, Colorado's own Jenny Kavnar. Jenny, it's great to talk to you. Thank you for joining us, especially on such a terrific occasion for the Rockies, and specifically for Todd Helton, who becomes the Rockies' first Hall of Famer that has spent his entire career in that uniform. Uh, what were your initial thoughts just about an hour ago when we found out that Todd Helton made the Hall of Fame? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It's good to join you guys. You know, I, I was actually really surprised by my reaction and how much I've been waiting for this moment. Um, we had our young kids, six years old and two years old watching. And of course they wanted to be doing a million other things than watching the news as my son called it. Um, but it was an important moment, an important moment in Colorado sports history. And even though I knew they wouldn't understand, I wanted them to sit there and watch. And it was really funny because I prematurely cheered when they said, uh, this player spent his entire career with one team. And I was like, yes. And then they say Minnesota and I was like, okay, not at Todd. Um, but I was I was really, really happy when they did announce that Todd Helton's going in and he'll be joining Larry Walker, who's probably his biggest proponent of getting in the Hall of Fame and joining him. And um, it's just right. It's where Todd should be. There's been too many years of um, just discussion and chatter about Coors Field and playing at altitude that finally is being eradicated by stats that matter and stats that are really going to show that you can't choose your home ballpark. And Todd made the most of where he played, um, but to play for 17 years for the same team in the era that he did have an opportunity to maybe be traded, didn't take it, ends up getting so close to the coveted, uh, you know, world series trophy doesn't get it in 07. Um, other than that, I think Todd had a pretty perfect career here in Colorado. It, it, that's a great way to put it. And uh, of course, it, your experience growing up as a fan uh, kind of overlaps with uh, Todd Helton's career. Uh, yeah, right. And mine, uh, mine as I well. Mean, yeah. that, that's, uh, uh, I'm a little older than you two. Uh, but uh, yeah, to me, when I think of Todd Helton, I think of the Rockies and vice versa. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. No, no offense to Larry Walker or uh, any of the other Rocky stars over the years, but Helton became the face of a franchise. Yeah, 17 years with an organization um, that was just born in 1993. You are the face of the franchise, right? I think we all know that. I think the first number they chose to retire was number 17 for a reason. Um, Todd means so much to yeah. the city, to the mm-hmm. fans. And I do feel really lucky that my dad with a bunch of other friends just happened to have season tickets um, right. that they split a package on mm-hmm. right up first base, 
right up from the first base, um, you know, side of the field and got to watch Andre Scalaraga play, but then I got to watch Todd Helton play and his, in his, uh, you know, prime of his career, and then ultimately later getting to cover the very end of his career. Right. Um, right. It, it was special. It was special to have that relationship with a guy that you grew up rooting for as a hero. Jenny, I was, I was monitoring this live. We were on air as the, as the announcement was was made, and and I was with you the, the second I heard with one team. I'm like, oh, no, wait, wait, no, 21 years. That can't be. It must be Mauer. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. A couple of years ago in 2022, Helton had 52% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Last year, 722 Today, 79.7, actually ahead of Maurer, so maybe Helton mm-hmm. should have been announced second because he actually finished with a higher percentage of the ballot than Maurer. I attribute this in part to the fact that analytics has developed certain numbers. Mm-hmm. And we knew that his overall yeah. numbers, you know, the 316 batting average, the 2,500-plus hits, the 350-plus home runs, those are all there. The gold gloves were there. But some of the modern analytics, it was the idea of now when people started to understand some of these more num- these bigger numbers, 133 adjusted OPS, which for, I, I get it. 100 it, is average. Right. But what that does is that neutralizes ballpark factors, yes. right? And yes. so that number, I think after a while, became a lot harder for voters to ignore. It's 32nd among first basemen ever. And I think without that, maybe that new way of looking at it to normalize the ballparks, Helton's trajectory might have been very different. Just imagine if Todd Helton would have stuck with football. <laughs> what would have happened? He might have what, had what to back up Peyton Manning in a couple of years. Yeah, 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 they might have had to eventually flip up. No, I just, I do. I think it's very interesting, the dynamic. And I bring it up because a lot of parents nowadays want to pigeonhole their kid early, right? They want to specialize right. them at such a young age. And I think Todd is such a great example of that. You know, his dad um, was really influential in him and that famous opposite field hit that we see from Todd, right? Oh, he, sure. He, he set up the driveway to make sure that his boat was strategically in the way so Todd couldn't pull the baseball. I mean, there's stories after stories about you know diving into his childhood and, and how baseball became such a part of his life. But he was a natural gifted football player as well. And I think the fact that he was a multi-sport athlete carried him, you know, so long through college until he eventually specialized, obviously, just in baseball, becoming a professional there. Um, but what I think I admire most about Todd getting to see behind the curtain a little bit, and it, people often want to talk about altitude and the advantage that it has. There is a strong disadvantage to playing your entire career in altitude. This is a very hard place, well-documented yes. by... Well-documented by... Um, you know, players that when they return here, it's very hard on their body. It's very challenging to get up and get ready every day. And so then you think about a guy that did that for 17 straight years, and we all know Todd struggled. He had some back issues, especially in his career. But watching the work and the determination that he would put in each and every day and that competitive drive to win, um, it, it was just, it was fascinating to watch. Very few are gifted with that. And um, Todd definitely had that internally. And I think getting to see that firsthand, but then also hear the stories from Ryan Spielborgs and Corey Sullivan and people that played next to him each and every day. Um, I know his teammates are, are just really, really happy today that he's going to live in Cooperstown forever. I think Helton is underrated as an athlete, but when I think of him and I listen to you speak about the work ethic he had, I think of Carl Yastrzemski who was not a physical specimen. Uh, I think he was 5'11 and 180. And he had to work and work and work, especially as he got older. And he had 
injuries, and yet even well into his 40s, he wanted to play every day. And that's one of the things I remember most about Todd Helton. He always wanted to play. And he yeah. was almost never late in his career completely healthy. No, no, he wasn't. And it shows. It shows statistically, right, that there's a huge drop-off. And you were talking about the adjusted park OPS um, earlier, Sean, and I think it's such a valid point because you can even narrow that down to his formative years, right, like probably 97 yeah. to mid-2000s when he was real good. And it, so that's even up further. It's up to like 166, I think, over the course of that eight-year <laughs> period. So. Um, I, I, I just, my husband made a really good point to me tonight. He goes, if, if Todd played on the West coast, we wouldn't be sitting here today talking about this because he would have already been in the hall of fame. Yeah. I say interesting to talk about West coast. Someone who goes on the East coast, people always say, well, have you played in the East coast, played in New York, but the same is true. Had he played in Los Angeles, especially with the Dodgers or, yeah. or even San and he was Francisco, by San yeah. Diego out of out of high school, right? So yeah. we we could have been talking about this had he had he chosen that path. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. right. Because he was sure. drafted yeah. by San Diego and then went back to to Tennessee, where he, I mean, obviously he was tremendous in Tennessee. And uh, it, it's easy to you talk about the the athleticism back in the the College World Series when he was a junior. He pitched a. Yeah, complete game victory back <laughs> then pitched. <laughs> and, and people forget that oftentimes he closed for that team as well. So, I mean, right. you're talking about a guy that was a tremendous athlete uh, overall, the, the National Collegiate Player of the Year, the year the Rockies uh, drafted him and brought him in. And, and it is in baseball, I think, that you brought up the really good point there because it is about the, the sport itself rewards work ethic because the season is a grind. We know it's 162 games and you hope it's longer than that when you get a, a chance to reach 162 and keeping yourself healthy, keeping yourself ready to go, keeping yourself from going into prolonged slumps. All of this stuff requires sort of not only the, the grind physically, but the emotional grind to not get too high when you're going well, to not get too low when you're in a slump. And that's part of the factor too. And that's, I think why baseball values longevity the way it does is because it requires that day in and day out. Yeah. I mean, we're, when are we ever going to see the Ironman streak broken? Never in right. the game. Clearly. When are we ever going to see players that play for one team? We thought, I thought right. it was rare that yeah. Tony Gwynn played for one team for the amount of time that he did of 19 years and, you know, getting Todd to do it for 17. Right. We're just not going to see that anymore. The sport values contracts and finances very differently. Players value it very differently. And to your point, the longevity is not there. Like players right. that have a 10 year career, you know, from here on out, it's unbelievable. Or we're going to start to look and say, why they played 17 years. Why didn't they play that many games? Because no one plays 160 games anymore. It is very sure. rare. Sure. The Marcus Simeons of the world that played every single day for the Texas Rangers, including the postseason all the yep. way to the World Series, right. are a rare bird to find. They're just not out there. And um, it's a product of, you know, science and rest and all these things. But it's just a different athlete. You you don't have guys that are going to strap it up for 162. If you get 145, like, wow, that guy, yeah. that guy plays a lot. You Absolutely. Know? So we're just, you're not going to get the same comparison moving on from here forward. Those Hall of Fame requisites that the writers go back to often in terms of benchmarks of hits or home runs or wins or strikeouts, like, it's going to be hard to match some of those numbers moving forward. And so... I'm just really glad this this time came now for Todd before a whole other class of players gets put in, um, you know, to the docket next year. Yeah, and that's always uh, Sean was talking about that yesterday. That's always the fear that 
you can jump up as Todd did and you can get to a level uh, that's very close to 75%, but then a class or two comes along and maybe you get pushed back down. So I know he had years of eligibility left after this year, but uh, this really had to be the year, not that it was a shocker that he made it and not that he couldn't have made it in subsequent years, but this was really the best year for him to get in because you didn't think there would be five, six, seven guys getting in this year. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that for sure. And I think too, it it was almost surprising uh, the jump last year thinking he was just a few votes away from getting in. I think that would have surprised everyone. Right. Had that happened. Um, And so, you know, I I think fans' biggest frustration in totality when you look at this process and overall, a lot of fans can't understand how a player goes from year one or two on the ballot of getting less than 20% of the votes to ultimately year five to seven to nine to 10, making it in. And I get that, but Sean brought up a good point. Analytics are ever-changing, and they're revealing something new about these players that maybe we can't see to the naked eye of um, just the the normal statistical categories that we've had to compare them. Um, But what I really hope in the future, and it's hard to just change voting on the ballot, so I hope that these writers that are getting an opportunity to vote on the ballot each and every year really do take the time to talk to former teammates of these players and talk to former competitors of these players because the eye test and being in a clubhouse with it, with a player every day, the things you can't see by statistical numbers do matter. And I think that they should have a voice in putting the elite into the hall of fame. And so I know, I know a lot of writers that do take this job very seriously and pour hours over, um, you know, analyzing numbers, but also making those phone calls. And I think that there's so much value in that when they go to put a, you know, a pencil to paper to make their vote. She is Jenny Kavnar, of course, the uh, longtime Rockies broadcaster, and, and you might be catching her on some college basketball of late, too, if you've been paying attention. Yes. And if you haven't As been some paying of us attention on Friday to night. college basketball yeah. uh, right now, you should be, because... Uh, you did boy, a great job Friday night, by it's, the way. Uh, it's really enjoyed it. Thank you. That was a fun atmosphere. Yeah, yeah we've had some sure fun was. Days. Colorado basketball is alive and well. How about My that? goodness. It is great. The Centennial State is hooping, men's and women's both, uh, for Colorado and CSU. Yep. Having great years, and it's been a ton of fun to cover both of them. So you want to keep in touch with everything that Jenny's doing. You can follow on social at Jenny Kavnar, C-A-B-N-A-R, if you didn't know that already, and shame on you. But that's okay. I'll still spell it out for you. <laughs> Jenny, I really appreciate it. It's always good to talk nice to you, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll get in touch with you. Maybe we'll be able to talk about this even before baseball season starts, because as you pointed out, we've got some uh, March Madness coming up that may matter yeah. in this town. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Brackets. Yes, let's talk yes. about it. Love it. Thanks guys for having me on. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so Thanks. much. Appreciate it. Jenny Kavner, always great to talk to her about that. And she, she brought up I really like Jenny. Uh, yeah. she, she is uh, all the best things that someone who grew up as a fan can be. And, 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 and yet here. she's not jaded. She's right. not cynical by the changes in sports. Uh, not all changes that we all like, and Jenny's probably included in that group, but uh, the joy, the enthusiasm, uh, obviously she has uh, talent, but the joy, the enthusiasm, the spirit, uh, the story she told about uh, Todd Helton and even about her father's appreciation for Todd Helton, 
kind of teaching her about what was important as our fathers did when we Mm -hmm. watched sports. And, uh, you know, the one thing I do say about uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame that I do kind of like, and I know it bothers some people, but uh, the phrase voting shall be based upon the player's record, playing ability, integrity, sportsmanship, character, and contributions to the team teams on which the player played. And, you know, we're talking about sports here, baseball character, baseball integrity, and Todd Helton had all of that. Yeah. He and always uh, wanted to play. And I, it, it, that's as you yeah. explained, and she explained very well, unusual today. And she's exactly right. 145 games today, you're an Iron Man. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to talk to Jenny. Of course, by the way, the uh, and I, I neglected to mention, and I do apologize. I, you know, but the uh, first ever woman to win Colorado Sportscaster of the Year just uh, a couple of years ago in in twenty twenty one, and and she brought up some of the the, the longevity aspect of players with one team. Here they are. I went and looked them up while we were talking. Joey Votto, who will not be coming back to the Reds, debuted in two thousand two, but he may finish his career with another team if he decides good. to keep playing. Uh, Adam Wainwright good. just retired. He, originally, he originally debuted yep. in 2005, so Wainwright Spanish group. Wainwright, a very good pitcher, probably not a Hall of Famer. Not a Hall of Famer. Votto will have an argument, but will he end up with one team over the course of his career? Clayton Kershaw will be a Hall of Famer oh, no and his debut in 2006 with the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, and then you go to Jose Altuve with the Astros and Hall of Famer. Mike Trout of no, the Angels. No but doubt about both it. Both of them end up in those uniforms. We don't know. Uh, we don't know. I think Altuve has a better chance I than do, Trout. too, than Trout. And, I mean, that's what you're talking about. So when you when you, the idea of, of guys that have played 17 years as Helton or 21 at the same team as Maurer, uh, you, you're not going to see that very well, often One of again. the great pleasures for me in 2023 was getting to see Jose Altuve play in person. And I know it was one game, but what a game it was for him. Uh, going back to uh, Labor Day, as a matter of fact, 2023. Look it up in the box score on Baseball Reference if you want. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he had a that day. was one. That was one of the real thrills of being down in Fort Worth for CU's debut, and then on Labor Day, uh, going over to Arlington and and watch the Rangers play the Astros and watch Altuve play in person. Which I I I I'd seen him before at Coors Field, but it, this was different. This is in the heat of a pennant race, a, a division race first place that Houston ended up capturing and uh it was a it was a great scene that day and he rose the occasion and you know you look at a guy like he's he's a hall of famer uh, you know I know he was caught up in some of the nonsense that the Astros were a part of years ago but uh he is a, a titan though small of stature a true titan a great player and that's what Todd Helton is Helton now a Hall of Famer. The tech caller text line, 303-831-1340. We will take a look at the Denver Broncos because they have a decision to make at number 12. Helton was drafted at number 8. Can the uh, Broncos get anywhere near that kind of quality at number 12? And do they have to go in one position to play it? Oh, that one Helton also played too. Quarterback. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. 
Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I'm just going to let this song breathe a little bit because this kind of feels like it's like to be a Broncos fan for the last seven or eight years. You just keep going and going and going and you don't really have a plan. Desert. And all of a sudden you're talking to yourself. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad, well, Sandy. You know, they, they haven't had a period like this since the battle days of the American Football League. And I say battle days from a competitive right. standpoint. I'd love the AFL. Actually, it was kind of fun, right? I, yeah, I thought like... the AFL was a lot of fun, <laughs> but I didn't grow up in Denver. And, uh, you know, a credit to Bronco fans. Uh, the team could have moved to Atlanta in the mid-60s, and the Bronco fans made sure it didn't happen. And it, it certainly was not spurred on by competitive greatness. Uh, this team they were watching uh, it w- would be bad for basically a decade after they saved the team for Denver. They would stay. I, mean, I, and I won't say bad because they were bad in the AFL. They were mediocre in those first seven NFL years. But actually, pretty good by '76. They just needed the right coach, and they found it with Red Miller in '77. And ever since, Broncos never had an eight-year stretch. No, like this. nothing close, nothing close. And now they're looking for a quarterback again. And uh, this is a quarterback league. You know, we talked about it yesterday with Cody Rourke. Uh, Brock Purdy is the exception, the only one of the remaining quarterbacks that wasn't picked in the first round. Oh, and by the way. In the previous round, when there were still eight teams left, Purdy was still the only quarterback that wasn't. I mean, that's that's where you're at. And so the the truth of the matter is when it comes to quarterbacks, they, for the vast majority, I get it. Tom Brady exists. Brock Purdy exists. I am not pretending they don't. But if you look at the history of the NFL, and I mean all the way through it, but especially the modern NFL, Post-merger, if you want to win a Super Bowl, you have a quarterback that was picked high in the draft, and you you, you have to pick the right guy. Teams are too sophisticated now. And, and even the Brady draft was almost a quarter that century. W- that would have ago. never happened today. It, it, would, it would not happen No chance. Today. And, uh, you know, the football romantic that I am, uh, I think of Unitas and Star. Uh, Star was like a 17th-round pick. Right. Believe it or not, they had 17 rounds back in the sure. 50s. And he came out of Alabama. He wasn't celebrated. Unitas out of Louisville. But you could, one, you couldn't watch everybody on TV. He wasn't Lamar Jackson who got drafted in the first right. round. Johnny Unitas got cut by the Pittsburgh Steelers. But you didn't watch, watch people on TV. You, it, it was old school. You, you hopefully, yes. hopefully your team had enough money to maybe you send the two did? or three scouts that you had to games at a certain time. And you, and you know went what from you there. did? And John there Ralston, wasn't a combine, which, by the way, the name combine, what do you think that's about? The whole idea was to get a central point where you right. can get base information together as opposed to spending the money as teams separately to have to go but, retrieve that. You know what? It, you know We were talking about Randy Grasher earlier. Now John Ralston 
got Randy Gratishar. Because a lot of teams Stand looked down. at Gratishar and said State. he's got knee injuries. Ralston calls Woody Hayes, who is a close friend of his, kind of an odd couple, but they were close friends, and said, Woody, tell me about Gratishar. He says he, he's the best player I've ever coached, and he'll be a great NFL player. And that was all Ralston need, needed to hear. And other teams didn't necessarily do that. But that's what that's what even smart teams had to do in the 50s and the 60s. And even on into the 70s a little bit, they'd call college oh, coaches, even, and friends by the way, of theirs, and ask about players. They wouldn't go much beyond that. Unless you forget about Gratishar, he was the 14th overall pick. He was their first rounder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but, he pretty much but, just but got I mean, the intel from his college coach. What do you think? Is he good? Yeah, he's good. Sure, we'll pick him first. If you did, and this was pre-Lombardi when Starr got drafted by Green Bay, but if uh, you had called the Louisville, uh, the Alabama coach about Starr, the Alabama coach would have said he's not any good. You called the Louisville coach about Unitas, he was, hmm. He's all right. He's all right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, but, but now, I mean, that, that's it's part of the equalization, too, with the before NIL took over college, the idea and the only reason it happened is because television exposure was everywhere. And it started to, know, to even things out in college football. NIL is, I think, going to do a tremendous job smoothing that out because now what, what players are realizing, I, I will be seen anywhere for a long time. And the, the the canary in the coal mine for that was Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame had its had its big TV contract with NBC, and they started to fall off, and they were confused. Well, it used to be for generations, just the coach of Notre Dame would call, do you want to come to Notre Dame, son? And they'd say, yes, sir, and be right there. Well, that no longer became an issue because after a while, you're like, well, if I'm good, the TV will see me anywhere. I Our, our conferences have networks. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm available to be seen. I'm not exactly coming to right. Notre Dame and be a be a third or fourth stringer and hope that by my year my senior year I can play to get in the NFL when I can go to a school where I can start immediately yeah. and be seen right off the bat. And so that the Brady's and and the Terrell Davises they don't slip through anymore because you'd be looking at a good Michigan team with Brian Greasy a quarterback. And, and still pay, pay attention to Brady, and then the next year go, oh, wow, this guy stepped in and kept it rolling. Right. Brady would have never been a seventh-round pick today. Terrell Davis, who was behind Garrison Hurst at Georgia, would have never been a sixth-round today. He would have gone to the combine, yeah. and the power and speed combination would have knocked people's socks off, and he never would have lasted that long. The scouting is better, and that's why yeah. I get it when you're a team that doesn't have a quarterback. The fan base romanticizes about well, we'll grab this guy that I liked that I saw, and this one game I watched on TV, he looks promising. You could grab him in the sixth, and maybe he'll be your star quarterback going forward. Okay, maybe. And you know what? Maybe when you buy that lotto ticket, you'll win it. But I hope you don't go and buy your lotto ticket at the grocery store and start spending it and going, well, I'm going to go tomorrow and buy a boat because you're probably not going to get that. And if you're going to draft a quarterback, you have to draft him high. For the Broncos, they're in a weird spot, Sandy, because – the guys that are going to draft at height, they don't have the draft ammunition to move up and get them. And the guys that are sitting in that second round frame, the J.J. McCarthy's, the Bo Nixes, the Michael Penix Juniors, guess what? The Broncos traded well, for Sean Payton. They don't have a second round pick. Yes. And I think not only don't the Broncos have the ammunition to move into the top 10, unless you move into the top three, three. you've got possibly 
three quarterback needy teams. Now, I, I, Chicago's Carolina's pick, I think Chicago's going to end up trading the pick. Kuyper did his mock draft today on ESPN.com, and he said, I'm not doing trades. It's, it's oh, too yeah, early. It's too this early. is my first mock. I'm not going to do trades, speculate on Absolutely that. Absolutely right. But I, I wasn't surprised to see the first three picks that Kuyper projected that all three were quarterbacks. Caleb Williams, uh, Drake May of North Carolina, and, and uh, Daniels and Drake May were Daniels one, one two, and three. Right, Daniels was ahead of May. Yeah, they had Daniels which, going I, number two. That would, it I, I, shock I don't know. Me. What, you know, Kuiper's talking to people that I'm not it talking not to at this point. At but to me, and again, I'm doing what you said fans sometimes do. But this is these are all first round oh, quarterbacks, yeah, and no, I'm saying different. Just and I know the college game is a little different, but more and more you're looking for the same qualities in a pro quarterback that you see in mm-hmm. college, and especially when you're playing in those big conferences. Daniels can move. I I I like Daniels, Daniels more than May. Me, I like him more than May. I I like him a lot more than May, and in some ways I like him more than Williams. Although, God forbid, a team not take Williams number one, no. whether it's the Bears or somebody they work a trade out. Yeah, uh, with uh, you got to take him because if he turns out to be great, you can't say you were the guy who passed. But think him. about this, if because I know Broncos fans, are, I've talked some think that well they they could trade up, they could trade some features. Look, here's the deal. No, here's no. what the Niners You're not going to get any one of those. This teams. wasn't that long ago, right? Here's what the 49ers gave up because they moved up into the top three. We've seen a team do it. Yeah, here's what they gave up to get Trey Lance. Yeah, which has not worked out. Okay. This was in the 2021 draft. They gave up their 2021 first, their 2022 first, their 2023 first, and a 2022 third. Yeah. To move up to three. Yes. The Broncos don't have that. No, the Broncos don't have that. And the 49ers, in making that mistake, and I'm still kind of in the camp where we don't know if Lance can play, but we don't know that he can't play either. Injuries were a factor, a lack of uh, playing. Although when you get to uh, year four, starting games on the collegiate level better start factor. happening. But, well, yeah, yeah I, I understand. He can't just sit and rot on the bench for the next three or four years and expect to have any kind of meaningful career. I understand that. But what I'm saying is for all those picks they gave up, the 49ers had to be great in the mid to late rounds day two day three of the draft they had to be great right and it's turned out get a little that lucky. they have been great and they have been lucky to be able to withstand having given up so much for so little in terms of production and again a lot of the circumstances with lance they couldn't have foreseen i liked lance coming out but you can't do anything about the injuries and the whole COVID thing, um, you know, some quarterbacks, uh, you know, I think Lance is at the top of the list. Uh, you know, the COVID year hurt him. He needed to play more than he did. Yeah. And one of the reasons, I don't think it was a good reason, but one of the reasons Micah Parsons was not a top 10 pick was because he opted out of the COVID year and teams didn't have tape on him from college during his senior year and a lot of gms and i suspect that george i say i suspect i don't know i suspect george payton might have been one of those guys who said i'm not drafting guys who didn't play last year i'm just not doing it 
I'm not looking at tape from two years ago and thinking it's going to represent what these guys might do. So he took instead Patrick Sertan, who had played right. during the COVID year and didn't take, and he wasn't alone. A lot of teams passed on Micah Parsons in the first round. Could have had him. And for the impact he's made, he should have been a top five pick, top three pick probably. But he didn't play, and that scared off a lot of teams. And I think what the Broncos have to do is manipulate the draft in such a way that they get their quarterback, but not necessarily with the 12th pick. Because I think taking Bo Nix 12th puts pressure on Bo Nix that I'm not sure would be good for bonus. Well, over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. Win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use that promo code Mile High, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. That means the win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code Mile High. Here's how you get that. Just download the Superbook Sports app. Enter that promo code Mile High, and you'll get $250, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sandy, good news coming for the Avalanche, potentially, who will be playing tomorrow at home against the Capitals. They may get a major cog back as soon as Wednesday. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Potentially great news for the Colorado Avalanche as multiple reports uh, have uh, the idea that Arturi Lekkonen, who traveled on the team's most recent road trip. And apparently was close to playing. And was close to playing. Uh, may indeed play tomorrow night as the Avs take the ice at Ball Arena in yep. Denver against the Washington Capitals. I don't know if signing your maybe best defensive forward to try to keep Alexander Ovechkin out of his office in that face-off slot is maybe the best draw right off the bat. <laughs> well, I, I don't you know, know how much he'll do? be playing against right. Lekin. Ob- yeah, obviously. Um, but uh, I'm talking about how much Ovechkin would play against Lekin. Right. Lekin would play against Ovechkin. I'm no, not sure how, how much that'll happen. It w- but it I would. love Nathan McKinnon's quote. Uh, definitely one of our best players. Awesome, uh, especially with Val being gone. Absolutely. It's nice to have a player like Lekkonen coming back. A, play, a player you can use to kill penalties. Right. Uh, he'll be a boon on, on the penalty kill. Uh, you're not going to play him, you know, 20 minutes a night right off the bat. But I, I thought he might have been about 90, 95% of the way when they were in Philadelphia. And I think the conclusion was that we have maybe our longest stretch of the year between games. They, they played a ton of games. Right. The Avalanche have. They have. So they were off Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, the last three days, no game. So they're, not, they're off the every other night. And, in fact, they skipped Monday. Monday shit on the every other night pattern would have been a game day. So they get that extra rest, and I think why uh, why force them out there, even if we're 90% sure 
Why force them out there on Saturday? Wait until Wednesday. And we're playing at home. And I, I don't know. The Flyers aren't the Broad Street bullies anymore. But they have kind of a rambunctious, uh, tempestuous coach who doesn't mind whacking people around a little bit. Uh, you know, fa- I, I didn't think the game was terribly physical on Saturday. But with Washington, I think you it's maybe with one or two exceptions, uh, a finesse team. And a little safer bringing him back maybe under under those circumstances. Yeah. But I think the extra rest was the big factor between games. And uh, now he comes back, and hopefully Bo Byram is not far behind. Uh, Bo Byram did practice yesterday in a normal jersey. In a normal jersey, uh, so he's that's getting a good closer. sign. And uh, assistant coach Nolan Pratt, who addressed the media, because uh, Jared Bednar has, has had a personal thing he had to attend yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Pratt said that the, the Avs will probably try to ease Lekkanen back into things. Right. But... You think about his role. I mean, he's an ace on special teams on the penalty kill yeah, and on the power play. Remember, yeah. I mean, he was serving at the beginning of this, this season, the beginning of the year, 12 games that he played before getting hurt, three goals, five assists, uh, effective on the power play, kind of being the guy in front of the net with those quick hands. Now, when, like he, when he got hurt, Nachushkin yeah. with the bigger body yeah. right. did uh, took that over. Right. And I think, quite frankly, because of his physique, is even a better fit for that role oh, I, than, than Lekkonen. So. But you don't have Nachushkin either. So having Lekkonen back in that role would be very helpful on the power play. You could use him on the penalty kill. Uh, it, it's valuable. Andrew Cagliano told the Denver Post yesterday, he said, it's huge for our team. He's such an important part of what we're going on here. He encompasses what our team's about in terms yep. of work and playing both sides of the puck. Right. He does it all. It's a huge addition. Having him out for this long have been tough minutes to fill. He's a great guy, great teammate, and a guy you want when crunch time comes. And even Cogliano talked about the idea of the lines because he was asked about Nachushkin coming back. So when Nachushkin comes back, Cogliano suggested that, you know, at the moment it would appear that that would be the original plan was Nachushkin and Lekkonen centered by Johansson. Cogliano suggested that probably would be the best move. He said it is probably ideal to have them both, meaning the Chushkin and Lekkonen, on the same line if possible because those guys can carry a line by themselves. Obviously, we're in a situation that we're in, and getting Lekkonen back is a big boost for us after the break. Having him come back, feel good in the rhythm of things, pick up where he's left off and do what he does. We need what he brings, and he brings a lot. Let me ask you this. It's a great quote. Okay, you, <laughs> you know how the first line has been setting up lately. Right. And Duran's been carrying uh, he's, his he's, fair share yep, of the load. He's okay? been with McKinnon and Ren. That's fine. He's been fine. And the second line, uh, you know, I think, yes, you have Nashushkin and Lekkonen, ideally, and Johansson in the middle. I don't want to break up that line no. of Colton, Wood, and O'Connor. I don't either. I, and, I think they bring speed, and I think it's gotten Colton going a little bit. And Wood comes off the illness and plays in a different manner uh, and a much more effective Boy, he's, way he's got a, than he had previously. Speed and power then combination O'Connor, is impressive. Then O'Connor, O'Connor just continues to find new year. gears. Now, I, I don't think O'Connor is a second-line winger no. on a championship team, but, but he's I a, think on a third line a as third a line. checker, yeah. uh, he's invaluable. And, you know, you'll get some production offensively out of those guys. The way they, they've been going, you know, they're called the Roaring Twenties line because they all have yeah. numbers that are in the 20s, right? Clever uh, clever call there by uh, Connor McGee. He yeah. kind of yeah. keying that up. Right. And then on the fourth line, you'd have Olison, Cogliano, 
and choose from among two or three other possibilities. I I think that also, and it depends on health for uh, Lekin. And, and both Olofsson and, and Kylie out on the fourth line can kill penalties. Yes. It's intriguing to me because I think when you take a peek at, we, we talked about this yesterday a bit with the abs. What do they need to do when we're talking about this trade deadline that's coming up real, relatively soon? I think if Lekkonen comes back and if they have an idea that Natushkin will be back within you know, a month to six weeks, yeah, that that tells me that if I'm the abs, I'm, look, I'm looking to trade for a backup goaltender, not a second-line center. Because you always have to assume as best as you can until someone's been knocked out for a year how will our team look when it's healthy? And you have to kind of cross your fingers a little bit that when the Stanley Cup playoffs start, that the team will be healthy. But like you pointed out there, the first line with Jerome now carrying his weight, first line's good. Second line, right. if, if it is Lekkonen, Johansson, Nachushkin, I feel pretty good about that. I feel pretty good about the third line. The fourth line with Olofsson making the, the step up to looking like a, an NHL fourth line winger. We know well, what Cognitano can bring right. right. But there was a there was a question at first when they obtained it from the Stars if he was going to be able to make that leap and stay there well, at yeah. the NHL level. Uh, and, and he has. You know, so he's, I, he's not going to score. Uh, I look at it and I think 10, 15 no. goals, but you don't need him to do no, that. He's a, he's a responsible checking yeah. for check guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he, can, he gets in the mix a little bit when you need him to. To me, it, it, it just again, drives home the fact that the Avalanche need, it would be great to go grab a Elias Lindholm. I'm not saying that that wouldn't be wonderful. Grab him off of Calgary, probably the top guy available yeah. on the trade market well, who might be out of the Avs range anyway. But because of that, I look at this now and think, okay, the Avs can probably make one significant trade because they've made trades in the last few years. There's not a lot there to trade. And maybe the trade is for a backup It's got to be for a goaltender, Sandy. Yeah. I think it yeah. has to be I, for I a goaltender. I think more and more, and Again, the Avs know more than we do um, uh, beyond lacking in about Byram and about even the Shushkin. I think they know, know more than we do on about the range of uh, days, weeks, month, maybe six weeks. It'll take before he can come back. They, they have a better idea than we do. So that's going to condition their thinking. And I... <laughs> I just don't think the need for to me, and this is part of the point that Cagliano is making. Cagliano is so smart about these things. On every line, you need two guys. You know, nothing against Drouin, but you got McKinnon and Rantanen together. Correct. That's magic. And then, as Cagliano suggested, Lekkinen and Nishushkin on the second. Nishushkin and whatever Johansson chips in is great. Then, then it doesn't really matter who who the center is, or even if the center is a little limited, not as fast. But like you've got these two wingers who are so good defensively. You worry about Johansson, um, other than faceoffs in just about every area, right? A little bit. Uh, but those two guys, you don't fancy playing against them if you're if you're the opposition. Right. And then you have a third line which has kind of come together in a way that. Um, as a second line game in and game out might not give you enough offense, but as a third line, it gives you plenty of offense mm -hmm. and it gives you guys who love to play without the puck and have speed, all have speed. And I actually think 
Wood and O'Connor have raised Colton's game. I, this year, I agree with you. You know, later on this trip, I agree. especially, I think the last couple, three games of the trip, those guys lifted and that Colton. And that happens. That happens. That, that's okay. Yeah. You, you, it's you, not a condemnation but, of Colton. So it happens. three lines, I think, Good as thing. presently constituted once Lekkonen and Nishushkin come back that, that are fine. And I think on defense, you know, to, to get a, a Lindgren, I, I think you're probably going to have to give up a Byram. You and may. I, I like Byron coming back when he does and playing with Manson, Gerard with Johnson, or or even Malinsky on, as a third tandem, uh, you know, and mix Manson and Johnson uh, up a little bit. Uh, I but I think they've got enough. They need to get Georgiev some rest. They have to get him rest. They have to. This team's championship window they is can't open. can't play 65 to 70. Games. We'll find out more. We'll know more tomorrow about Lekkonen's potential return tomorrow. We'll talk about that then. Of course, congratulations to Todd Helton, the Rockies' first Hall of Famer that played his entire career in a Rockies uniform, second overall behind Larry Walker. Congratulations. Great news. Thanks to Jenny Kavnar for joining us. Of course, you can follow Jenny on social at Jenny Kavnar, uh, also doing a terrific job with college basketball this spring as well. But uh, who better to talk to on this day? We'll have Drew Goodman to uh, the Rockies' longtime play-by-play man to, of course, break it down further with us tomorrow. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth. Thanks to all of you who are listening, whether it was on the FM, HD radio, whether MileHighSports.com, or you made it easy on yourself and grabbed the Mile High Sports app, getting all of it in one place. We appreciate it. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll be back tomorrow, but you don't have to go anywhere. It's Mile High Sports. 